0: Every person who can vote should vote on Election Day. I'm Brian Lehrer. You're listening to the Politics Brief podcast, bringing you the best coverage of the 2018 elections. You'll hear smart conversations from shows like On the Media, the New Yorker Radio Hour, The Takeaway, and yes, The Brian Lehrer Show. Plus, great reporting from our WNYC newsroom. We'll give you the information you need so you can choose wisely on Election Day. Welcome to Politics Brief. I'm Tanzina Vega, and this is The Takeaway. All this week, we've been exploring our election system, the nuts and bolts and the holes and gaps that make it vulnerable. Today, let's talk about solutions. What would it really take to make things better? Danielle Rood is the Voting Rights Manager at the Center for American Progress. Hi, Danielle. Hi. So we've been talking about this issue all week. We're going to continue talking about it tomorrow. But we want to talk about not just pie in the sky solutions, but actual practical solutions. What are some of the things that people can do to fix the system? Like, where do we begin today? That is an excellent question. And the
1: good thing is that most of the solutions to better our election infrastructure are practical. Um, so for example, I would say that the first thing that states should do, if this is applicable to them, is if they are still using any kind of electronic paperless voting machines, so typically we call those DRE machines, they need to replace them with paper-based voting systems. You election security experts, computer scientists um, have all warned about the vulnerabilities of these paperless machines. And the reason is that there's no reliable paper record of the voter's intent and how he or she chose to vote. And so we need those paperless electronic machines to be done away with and to be replaced with a paper-based system that can be relied upon then later on by election officials in post audits.
0: It's interesting we're talking about paper because it's one of the things we assume is sort of outdated, right? We do everything on our phones and everything else, but it's an interesting point that you make. What about auditing elections? We had a guest on yesterday that said, you know, we can do that to a certain extent, but we don't have a system in place to audit all votes. Is that right? Right. So, you know, you
1: think of after an election, after election day, there are millions and millions of votes cast so it's really not feasible to audit every single vote and it just you don't need to either you just need to be able to audit the precise number of votes necessary to confirm the outcome of an election and the scope of an audit the size will depend on the margin of victory in a given contest so if the margin of victory is quite large uh, election officials should only have to audit a a smaller number of ballots, whereas if the margin of victory is small, election officials should be able to alter the scope of the audit to make sure that they're auditing more ballots to confirm the outcome of that tight election. But auditing really is necessary to protect our elections and ensure the integrity of our elections. And, you know, paper-based voting systems are incredibly important, but um, the overall impact of a paper-based system depends largely on election officials and states' ability and commitment to carrying out robust post-election audits that then look at those paper ballots, um, a small sample size, for example, to ensure that voters' intent and uh, voters' choice are
0: accurately represented in the outcome. What about training when it comes to folks that work at the polls? How important is that? training for
1: election officials and at the state and local level election officials is of utmost importance, particularly under the current threat environment, when we know that the vast majority of attacks and attempts at manipulating our elections are cyber-based. Our election officials at all levels work incredibly hard to protect our elections. And for the most part, they do a really, really excellent job. But most election officials are not trained cyber experts and you know we can't really expect them to be there you know the the cyber expert community is is growing by the day in this country but we need a lot of election officials so we really need to begin training and intensively training election officials on how to recognize cyber attacks and the proper way to respond to any fishy or uh, suspicious activity that they see uh, either on election day or when they are uh, managing or overseeing the state's voter registration systems. So, you know, showing a video or, you know, having a, a conference for election officials once a year or twice a year is, is fine. It's a good starting point. Um, but more certainly needs to be done. Colorado, for example, just a few weeks ago carried out uh, what they called election war games, where uh, it was really role playing. Uh, various uh, election emergency scenarios, including cyber attacks, that included election officials from all over the state so that they were prepared and had actually practiced responding to some of these attacks. And that's the kind of intensive training that I hope becomes implemented nationwide for future elections.
0: And what about the federal government? I mean, I'm still surprised that we don't have a sort of federal voting system. But where couldn't the federal government come in and help some of the states?
1: So DHS, who has sort of been managing the federal government's response to the Russian attacks in 2016 and ongoing attacks uh, that we know are occurring leading up to these 2018 midterms, DHS has a variety of services that it offers states to bolster their election infrastructure, including performing vulnerability assessments, which are free to states, by the way. There was, of course, earlier this year, I believe, a waiting list for states to receive that kind of assistance, which, which was unfortunate. But as far as I as as I know, DHS has now sort of caught up and is performing those assessments at a speedier rate, which is great. But in addition to supplying sort of advanced cybersecurity measures and And tests for state election infrastructure, the federal government plays a significant role in information sharing with state and local officials. Federal officials, uh, particularly national security experts, are privy to some of the more classified or higher level threats to our elections that state officials and local election officials are not privy to and are not receiving talking points on, but also readouts of who our our adversaries are and what they're trying to do to infiltrate our elections. So there needs to be a direct line of communication between the federal government, what they're hearing, what they know, and the state and local officials who are working to protect our elections on a daily basis. And there have been efforts since 2016 to better that communication line. For example, DHS and EAC, the Election Assistance Administration. I have health conferences with uh, state and local officials to sort of talk about these issues, how they're going to better the information sharing system. But there's always room for improvement. Uh, there are still states and, and local officials who say that they, you know, are unaware of, of what's really happening in their locations, in their jurisdictions. So information sharing still needs, needs some improvement between the federal government and state and locals. But I do think there has been improvements since 2016. So that's, that's always, always good.
0: Danielle Root is with the Center for American Progress. Danielle, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to wnyc.org/election. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to wnyc.org election.